Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you again for having me. I get to oversee a lot of what happens in mission around all different locations of Bethany. If your location is involved in a global or a local partner like World Relief Seattle that you've heard about already this morning, I have something to do with that. But it's rare that I get to actually come and worship at some of the locations outside of Green Lake where I spend most of my Sundays. So I'm grateful for the invitation. It's a gift to be with you here this morning. And we're going to hop right into it as Jonah is a text um, full of things for us this morning. So if you would, join me in prayer, and then we'll get into the text. Lord, thank you for the gift that it is to be here in moments of worship together, listening for your voice. Lord, not simply as individuals, but as a gathered people. Lord, we trust and we believe that you speak uniquely in this context, and so it's here as a people desiring to both follow you and embody you in a unique way to the world around us, that we ask that your spirit would come and minister deeply to our hearts, Father, transform us, we pray, in such a way that we testify to who you are and we're able to be ever more a part of your transformation work in the world. It's towards that end that we pray in your name. Amen. Well, my uh, stepdad, Steve, is coming up on 70 years walking this planet. And uh, we are planning for that celebration And so it's not until November, my wife is an incredible party planner, and so she's already started the party planning process. And uh, one of the things that she's doing is she's creating these posters, and the different posters all show sort of highlights from the different decades of Steve's life. And so it's been kind of fun. The two of us have been looking through these things together, looking up random stats online. And just a couple uh, that stuck out to me were 60 years ago, Okay, in the year 1959, the world's population was just under 3 billion people. Does anyone know why that number might be staggering? That's less than half the world's population today in just 60 years. 45 years ago, 1974, was the, uh, this was the buzz in the tech world. Texas Instruments was awarded the first patent for the handheld calculator. And in 1949, 70 years ago, it was just 17 cents for a gallon of gas. Can you imagine? So today you might pay 3 to $4 for a gallon of gas, but down in Kent, Washington, is the headquarters of our beloved REI, and someone in Kent might design a, a, a T-shirt right? And then the cotton for that shirt might be harvested from Central America, packed up on a boat, shipped over to China, where it's then manufactured, and then shipped back across the Pacific Ocean to Seattle, where in downtown South Lake Union, it's sold for $25 in the REI flagship store. Just $25 for a shirt that's done that whole journey. Craziness. So, The reality is, right, we are in a changing, rapidly globalizing, rapidly interconnected world. Also, we're currently facing the largest displacement of people due to conflict since World War II. Over a billion people have been forcibly displaced from their homes, fleeing for their lives, either to a neighboring country or they're internally displaced within their country of origin. Had that been 60 years ago, that would have been one-third of the world's population. Taking it at our local context, 
Uh, in the foster care system, data from 2016, which is the most recent we have, uh, there were nearly 6,000 children entering the foster care system in the city of Seattle alone. And in the North Seattle region, you heard it talked about today, there are currently 193 children in care. Of those, 50% had to be placed in a combination of foster homes and group homes. A third of those 50% had to be placed in homes outside of King County, which means new school, new family, new friend groups, new community. What we know about all those transitions is they don't bode well for children in the long term. So people are moving, nations are changing, cities are changing, our individual lives are being shaped by this change, and thus we are changing. And some of this movement might be characterized by progress or development, right? Sure is nice that we can have a t-shirt for $25 that's made this journey around the world. And it doesn't take us all day to make that shirt ourselves. However, others of it might be characterized as suffering, exploitation, or fear. So the question for us as Christ followers becomes this. Where is God in all of this change, in all of this movement, what is God doing? And what are we called to do in response? So the beauty of the book of Jonah, I think, is that it illustrates a response to these questions of where is God, what is God doing in the midst of this changing world, and what are we called to do in response? Jonah is for us an embodiment of the human response to change. At a level, humanly, in our own flesh, we desire to flee or to isolate ourselves from what feels like so much change happening around us. Change maybe that we don't like or that we don't want to be a part of. He also embodies our response as a community. And we certainly see that playing out in our nation today. So what we'll see through the prophet Jonah is that we're called to discern and to respond to the movement of God and to participate with God's mission in our ever-changing world. This is what Jonah has for us in the weeks ahead. And so this morning, we're going to look specifically at these first three verses of Jonah. And I don't know about you, but when I heard that I'd be preaching on just the first three verses of the first chapter of Jonah, I thought to myself, how long is this series going to be? Uh, we'll see that uh, there's a lot to be had even within these first three verses. So if you would, turn with me there now, and you'll see uh, in your bulletin, if you want to follow along, um, we'll be looking at three sort of main points from this text. And those are the following. First, that God is on the move. Second, that movement disrupts. And third, that we're called to move ourselves. So our first point, God is on the move. If you read verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So how is God on the move in this text? Well, evidently, he's on the move in Nineveh. And Jonah is called to move in response to what God is doing in that place. So, what is God doing in Nineveh? Well, We don't know everything about Nineveh, but what we do know, it's called here in this text a great city. 
And anthropological studies reveal that this great city was thriving. It was an economic, cultural hub, the final sort of great city of the kingdom of Assyria. And uh, in addition to that, we know that the kingdom of Assyria was highly antagonistic against this people that we understand to be Israel, God's people. And so, from a theological perspective, we get a little bit different idea of what's going on in that place. We see uh, it characterized in Scripture that uh, Nineveh is a place of wickedness that is brutal in war. Um, and there's other prophets in the Old Testament that forecast the total destruction of Nineveh. So if you can imagine Jonah having received this word from the Lord, go to this place, your enemy, a place of prosperity, but nonetheless of hostility, it may help explain his response. But the reality is that we can't just cast Nineveh off as this wicked, terrible place because it is prosperous. There's innovation, there's creativity happening around that place. And so the reality is God is evident both in that creativity, that ingenuity, as well as in working with this wickedness and seeking to redeem this place. The reality is that God has a redemption plan for Nineveh. And Jonah's called to be a part of that plan. Now, as a missions pastor, if you will, I get excited about this for a couple different reasons. The first reason is that of the many prophets throughout all of Scripture, Jonah is one of two that's called to a foreign land. Okay? And so what's interesting about that to me is that Jonah as a foreigner is called to play a unique role in what God is doing in another place. And that God is indeed revealing God's self in all of the world and that we're called to be a part of that. So oftentimes I think when we're involved in mission or something like that, whether it's through World Relief Seattle, um, going down to the detention center, or if we're going on a mission trip to some other part of the world, I go with teams from Bethany to Rwanda and Costa Rica um, at various points throughout the year. A tendency that I see within myself and with other people is to assume that somehow in my coming, Jesus is showing up in a unique kind of way. And while at a level I do think that's true, I think what we forget is that Jesus is already there already been working, and already intimately involved in the lives of those people. And that, I believe, is true in the case of Nineveh as well. And when we look at it that way, sometimes what can become difficult is the people that look different, sound different, smell different than us, and maybe even are in our minds our enemy, we don't want to believe and we don't want to see that Jesus is in fact present within those very people and amongst those very cultures and those very places. But the beautiful thing in Jonah is that we see that that is the call and that we're called to participate in that God's work in our world. And so that brings us to our second point for this morning, which is movement disrupts. So we read in verse 3, Jonah's response to this call, to go to this place that in his mind is this evil enemy of Israel. And his response Uh, is this. 
But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So this isn't just simply like a no. This is an emphatic no. It's an emphatic no because Tarshish is not like just a hop, skip, and a jump from Nineveh. Like, well, I'll get halfway there and see what I think. Tarshish could be one of two different places. In in either case, we don't know exactly which it is. Uh, It's the direct opposite direction, at least as far as it would have been to go to Nineveh. And uh, Tarshish, it's thought was a, uh, it could have been like a resort town, um, like a vacation destination, if you will. And so Jonah is called to go to this highly hostile environment. And instead he goes, nope, I want to go to the big island of Hawaii. And I just want to hang out on the beach and think about all the wonderful, great things that might happen to Nineveh someday, uh, but I don't want to be a part of it myself. And so scholars sort of, there's a variety of perspectives on why Jonah might have said no, some of which I've sort of alluded to already. But here's sort of three predominant views of why Jonah says no, I don't want to go. First, Jonah could have been afraid. And rightfully so, right? This is the people uh, in Nineveh, our kids have been dismissed, so I can say this, who would literally uh, behead and skin the uh, uh, Israelites in war. Um, Brutal, brutal group of people. Second, uh, the words of Zephaniah and Nahum, these prophets I alluded to, forecast that indeed this city is to be destroyed. And so Jonah may not have wanted to go to Nineveh, because he didn't want Nineveh to repent for their sins. He didn't want the Lord to forgive them. They were his enemy. And then thirdly, if Jonah were to prophesy against Nineveh and they didn't repent, what would that look like for him? Could he be seen as a false prophet? And so we have fear of harm, resistance to change, and sort of this uh, distribution of power, um, relocating power perhaps from what he understood to be uh, his desire for Israel to be the means by which God would redeem the world. And now somehow God wants to make God's self known in this place, even amongst his enemy. Or finally, it could have been a fear of failure. And I think uh, for me personally, I can relate to Jonah. Um, I got to thinking about my own story and, and realizing, you know, how did I end up doing what I'm doing in this thing called mission here at, a, at the church, Bethany, and um, was mindful that that story for me started in a foreign land as well. Um, all the way back to elementary school, I can only recall one Mexican kid that I went to school with. And the only encounter that I really recall from this relationship was me uh, getting scolded by my teacher on the playground because I had been making fun of and bullying this kid on the basketball court. 
Uh, fast forward a little bit to late middle school, early high school. Uh, I was in Spanish class, like everyone else. Everyone took Spanish class, so I thought I'd take it too. And some of the memories that I have from that are sitting in the back of the classroom with the other kind of jocks that, like I was around me, and we would laugh at the accent of our teacher and, and this, this kind of funny language that we had to learn. Fast forward a little bit further, and um, I was at an interesting place in life, uh, enjoying many uh, alcoholic beverages and other things that changed your mindset in those years. And um, my mom invited me to go on a trip to Mexico. Uh, she said, I'll pay for the trip. Um, all you got to do is say yes. And so my brother and I, we both had this opportunity, and I thought to myself, awesome. All I know about Mexico is margaritas and Corona. And uh, so I said yes, and what it turned out to be is my mom, she tricked me into going on a mission trip with a local church. I had no idea. We had to go to a meeting before we, we got on the plane, and at the meeting we realized it was at a church, and all of a sudden people are praying and doing stuff that was totally weird to us at the time, and it was like, oh crap, what did we get ourselves into? And so uh, we ended up going to this community, La Purisima, in central uh, Mexico. And uh, it was in that place that I encountered poverty in a way I'd never had before, material poverty. Uh, encountered a culture radically different from my own. Like I said, my exposure to Mexican culture was few and far between at that point. And uh, I got to know and s- sort of encounter a way of doing community that rocked my world. That closeness, the um, richness of this people blew my mind. And, I, and all my own senses of total insecurity, um, wishing that I could be something that I wasn't, um, that all just began to get um, shuffled up within me. And it was in that place that I came to know Christ and uh, receive him as my Lord and Savior. And so, uh, Interestingly, then, every year after that, I went back to this community in Mexico. I went on to then work for the organization that facilitated those trips after high school. I spent a year living in Latin America. Uh, I spent every summer and most of my winter and spring breaks through college back in Central and South America. I'm a Spanish speaker myself, and it's because of a people in Latin America and the the way in which that culture has become a part of my own and a part of my own sense of identity uh, that I do what I do today. And I can tell you, if someone would have told me when I was 16 years old that I'd be doing what I'm doing today, and it would because, be, be because of a Mexican people group that, frankly, I just thought I didn't have anything, any interest in being a part of, I would have thought you were crazy. But here I am. God was working in that place. God was working in me. And somehow those things were aligned in a unique way, and we... And and my story became a part of the story of what God was doing in Latin America, and it continues to this day. So I share that with you to say, uh, bring us to our final point for this morning, which is we too are called to move. I shared with you earlier that all these different ways that we see our world shifting and changing around us. I shared the example of refugees and asylees around the world who are seeking new and safe places that they can call home. We discussed the children in our neighborhoods of Seattle, literally your neighborhood of Shoreline. 
and sort of the, the trauma and perpetual challenges of displacement and replacement that these kids are facing. And I believe that the book of Jonah challenges us to be so bold as to believe that amidst all of this movement, God is at work and God is calling us to be a part of it. So like Jonah, we may experience fear associated with the disruption that this movement causes in our lives. We may experience a tendency towards withdrawal or isolationism, the notion that those aren't my children, they aren't my responsibility, or those countries' problems aren't my problems, refugees and asylees aren't my responsibility. And yet, the word of God through the prophet Jonah is a timely reminder that we are called to go. We're called to receive. We're called to open ourselves up to the movement of God amidst all of this movement in our world. God does not promise that the road will be easy. Our worldview, our comfort our present circumstances, or maybe even our own sense of identity will have to change along the way. God does not require us to respond willingly, as we'll see in the weeks ahead looking, looking at Jonah. But as we move, I do believe that we'll be equipped for the journey. That God will be with us, and whatever peaks and valleys we may go through, there is no place that we can go to flee from the presence of the Lord. That, friends, is the irony of Jonah's response to flee to Tarshish. Because people would have known in that day texts such as Psalm 39 that says, where can I flee from your presence, O Lord? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is nowhere. So people who would have heard This prophecy through Jonah, the original hearers of it, those texts would have been in their mind. And so when Jonah seeks to flee to Tarshish, they would have thought to themselves, what's he going to Tarshish for? God is there. God is in Nineveh. God is in Israel. God is in Seattle. God is in Tarshish. And he's in Hawaii as well. The bad news for Jonah and for you and me. No matter where we go, or where we would seek to recluse ourselves to, God will meet us there. And so you may have seen in the foyer as you came in this morning various paintings on display uh, that show feet and shoes. So I got to thinking about that and realizing that uh, obviously feet and shoes uh, sort of have a connotation of movement to them as we're looking at this morning, but they also in many ways illustrate the profound truth that as followers of Christ we are called to move And in so doing, bear the dirt and the scars that many miles of our journey ahead of us has for us. And so I'll ask you this question, and maybe you can reflect on it as you leave this morning and pass by those paintings, is what story will your feet or will your shoes tell? Will it be a story of withdrawal out of fear, of self-preservation and isolationism? of safety, quote-unquote, and comfort? Or will it be a story of boldness, of radical hospitality, loving your enemies and welcoming the stranger in your midst? Will you risk your comfort and your current privilege 
to participate with what God is doing with God's redemption plan for the world around you. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a gift it is to be your children. We recognize that as your loved ones, Lord, uh, you know even from the very beginning that we will fall short. Lord, that we'll have a tendency to withdraw, that when we finally get what we think is to the end or to, or to, the, to the best thing for our lives, Lord, that we'll want to stay there. And yet your story of transformation in and through us continues ongoing forever and ever and ever. Lord, your transformation for this world, what you would seek to do to redeem it, goes on and on and on forever. Lord, we're called to be a part. We want to be a part. We need you to transform our hearts, Lord, our minds and our bodies in such a way that we can continue to embody your kingdom in the world, making your kingdom come just a little more every day. So Lord, we pray that you would meet us now, disrupt us, help us to move. In your name, amen.